Hello and welcome to another episode of the Single Girls Guide to Life, your ultimate guide to living on your own in your 20s, 30s and 40s, looking at all of the things from solo trips, single life and just managing being on your own when everybody else expects you to be getting into a relationship. And this week we're going to be talking about something a little bit different, something that I didn't necessarily have on my radar and I don't think a lot of us have on our radar. It comes as I saw the lovely guest that we have, and I'll introduce you to her in a moment, was doing a lot of work and talks around Menopause Awareness Month, which happened in October. I missed the boat on that because it wasn't a topic that I was aware of, but it clearly worked because it got my attention. And I thought, what a fantastic thing to think about because I've heard my mum, my aunt, at the time, my mother-in-law talking about these things and they talk about all these different bracelet things they're trying on some sort of thing she wore on a around here I don't even know what that was and was trying all these things to manage some of the symptoms and I'm thinking god that's the last thing I want to be dealing with and quite frankly didn't realize how mad it could be you get taught about menopause at school and and the basics of it and so we have Marie Frost from Nutricore Health. She is a women's health coach and nutritional therapist, and she supports women's health through diet and lifestyle. And I know she's been talking a lot to women in Essex in particular about menopause awareness. So I would like to introduce Marie to the show and say, hello, Marie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Chantelle. I think it's great that you've brought me on this podcast because I think we're under the assumption or presumption that a menopause just happens to us when we're like 50s, 60s. And the, the age old images that we see on social media, this old aging women with grey hair fanning themselves from a hot flush, um, that's just that's just not realistic to the, the type of person who is experiencing these symptoms anymore. And it's actually a false representation anyway, because that's kind of like what you would expect a woman to look like coming out the other side. I personally, I'm 45 years old. I started experiencing symptoms of perimenopause when I was 37, when I was trying to get pregnant. And at no point did anyone even talk about perimenopause, let alone, well, I think maybe they were just starting, you know, talking more about menopause but perimenopause wasn't a topic of discussion and I think for me it was just like oh you've got a diminished ovarian reserve you, you're going to struggle having children you have to have IVF no one actually even said oh maybe your reproductive system is retiring early and you're starting um, your transition to menopause and I think that would have helped me understand what I was experiencing um, and it may have helped me address how I felt. So anyway, that was kind of how I started my journey and made me think about more diet, lifestyle, like holistic health. And that's when I started studying. And then I did have a child and then I had a massive drop post birth. So when I had my child, those first two, two years, I completely, my hormones were flawed because I was in perimenopause, but no one explained that I'm going to be like, it's, it'll be like dropping off a cliff for my hormones. And so I had a really, really hard time. Um, even though I was already studying nutritional therapy, I think I was already a health coach by that point. I hadn't at the time, I guess, specialised in that area. And it was a real struggle for me. I just actually put it down to being motherhood you know is this what motherhood's really like and I was a bit like oh my god this is horrendous and it was during COVID as well so it you know there was lots of contributing factors that made it a lot worse than it had to be but you know just not not understanding what was even going on feeling alone 
thinking it's you, you're a bad mum, blah, 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 because there was no one to initially say, oh, this could be perimenopause. And if you're perimenopausal, you can feel like this. And no sleep can really exacerbate those symptoms. And you can feel horrendous. And you might just want to cry. You might feel really low. You might not get any sleep. You might be irritable and all these kind of things. So that's why I ended up doing what I was doing, because I wanted to make sure that women understood what perimenopause was, really understood that the lead up to menopause was really symptomatic, had the knowledge, knew they weren't alone and knew there was things they could do about it. So that's kind of why I set up my business and geared it towards women's health. And more recently, I didn't want to specialise in perimenopause because that's what everyone seemed to be doing. However, every single client who came to me, there was an element of that because of my age and the women I was attracting. So I've decided that it's there's no running away from it. People do need this information and there's a need there. And so now I'm either running workshops, working with women one-to-one or doing talks and to make sure that they've got the support they need to get through this transition. Amazing. Well, thanks for sharing your story with us so we can get an idea of where that all comes from. And congratulations on having the baby in the middle of all of that and surviving that through a lockdown as well. And (laughs) it's interesting that you say all these things in the way that they sort of overlapped and it was being put down to having a baby that it sort of blurred it in terms of the symptoms that you were having what were they and also what symptoms even if you didn't have them do we need to look out for for this perimenopausal bit which is the bit before menopause actually takes its full onset there so I think first I just want to I'll just clarify the the terminology because another thing is people often say menopause and they switch in between perimenopause menopause and it's a bit confusing so People often talk about menopause as like the collective, like all three stages that you go through. So you've got perimenopause, menopause, then postmenopausal. They're the three stages. Okay. And menopause is actually just one moment in time. So it's just, it marks the 12 months without no period. So it's a cessation of your your menstrual cycle. And literally the next day you will be in the postmenopausal stage. So it's literally one moment in time actual menopause and I think that's often a revelation sometimes for people just to hear that because everything's just menopause menopause and perimenopause is the most symptomatic stage that leads up to that point and late stage of perimenopause is when it's really symptomatic and you could get more hot flushes and hot night sweats where you potentially could get those symptoms and they're the symptoms we the most common ones we associate um, menopause when we talk about is hot flushes and sweats. So perimenopause, which, like I said, is the most symptomatic part of it because that's where all your symptoms start and they lead up to the cessation of your menstrual cycle. That can start as early as your mid-30s. And I think it's really important to know this because, one, I'm seeing them people experiencing symptoms earlier than they ever have done but also because a lot of people are assuming that this can't apply to them because they're too young Mm. I think it's also important to point out why we're seeing it earlier and that's because of our modern lifestyles like if you think back to when maybe our grandparents for example were going through the menopause because I will keep calling it as the collective they may have just had some symptoms in the late stage of hot flushes and typically if you think about your grandparents well mine in particular they wouldn't have had a child at this age they would have already moved out 
So they wouldn't have had children because you're thinking the later stage. So towards, you know, late 40s to 50s, they would have had their child and moved out. They wouldn't maybe have not been working. Mm-hmm. By default, they wouldn't have had loads of pesticides. They wouldn't have had technology. They wouldn't have had been available 24 hours. The, the food will most likely be local, seasonal, organic by default. Um, they probably were more active. They knew what it was like to be bored mm-hmm. and switched off. So they didn't have the, like, the modern lifestyle exacerbating their symptoms and depleting them of nutrients and things like that, impacting their health. So our Western modern lifestyle really has a massive impact on our hormones. And during this stage... I, it's the diet and lifestyle factors and the environment we live in, which is actually exacerbating symptoms more than they probably used to be. So that's why I think we're seeing more. And that's why we're seeing so many people impacted now. But I think one of the other things is really important. And this was something I was trying to highlight recently, well, because everyone has jumped on the whole menopause bandwagon. Um, which is now called meno washing. So, you know, just chuck the word meno in front of anything and hike the numbers up, right? So there's a market that everyone wants to coin in on. But I do think now, because of celebrities and people like that talking about it, which is amazing because it raises the profile, it also means that some people just assume that they're in perimenopause. And they have certain symptoms and they just assume they're in perimenopause and they might go on HRT, they might not. But however, what they're doing there is masking or ignoring the underlying health issues because there's overlapping symptoms, which could be labelled as perimenopause, but they could also be labelled from nutritional deficiencies or lifestyle factors um, or other underlying health conditions. And I think because of the big, I don't know, like it's a massive surge in in discussion and topic I mean it's everywhere now isn't it well it feels well to me it feels like it's everywhere because I'm in the business right but however it's in the industry it's everywhere but also I'm seeing supplements and programs on tv and everything like I said it's great to raise awareness but then some people would just make assumptions that they're labeling themselves and not addressing diet and lifestyle so I think it's understanding what is actually a direct impact of perimenopause and what could actually be down to diet and lifestyle. So they're assuming some of the symptoms that they're experiencing are perimenopause, when in actual fact, it might be, but it also could be a number of other things which could be lifestyle, could be diet. Yes, yeah. Or could be another health condition. So even like um, underactive thyroid, so hypothyroidism, a similar symptom which overlap with perimenopause and in most cases when you go to your GP they'll likely run a blood test and include tests to test your thyroid to rule that out so rule of elimination and again what they test and don't test depends on your age of it but it's just because everyone's talking about it so much people self-diagnose but by doing that or some people just maybe put it down to that and just say, oh, it's just that, I'll get on with a life and ignore it. You know, it's, they might, um, rather than looking at, digging into why they're feeling something, they might just say, well, I must be perimenopause rather than, oh, actually, why am I feeling like that? Is it because I've got no downtime? Is it because I'm constantly stressed and spinning too many plates and things like that? It's almost like our hormones 
Because in perimenopause, our progesterone drops and our estrogen fluctuates and it goes higher than it ever has done and lower than it has done. So it's a bit of a roller coaster and it can vary month to month, year to year. It's really unpredictable. Um, and that that's the problem. It's so unpredictable. And I think I've just forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> what was I going to say? Estrogen, progesterone, unpredictable. What did I say before that? It was... <laughs> We were talking about, talking about, I was clarifying, lifestyle choices, hormones, and then you were defining that it was a, what was actually happening. Does something different happen to what most people think or do people think it's something else? It's okay if not. We can pick something up elsewhere. I'll just cut it and uh, make it. Oh, my God. I'm sure I had a really good point there, though. This is the problem, right? I mean, that does happen to me, too. And I don't think I'm in perimenopause. <laughs> I am only 30. I feel like we keep this bit in now. I have a really good point in podcasting. And then I'll be like, where did it go? Where did it happen? But yeah, I mean, we're seeing potentially some live symptoms of, of that. Yes, um, we are seeing live symptoms of that because I will let, you know, so this is one of the, it's a very good point, actually. So there's a lot you can do through diet and lifestyle, but there's some things that are out of your control. So I actually did a live on my Instagram this week of me having a very overwhelming moment after school drop-off and explaining how you can try and make change through diet and lifestyle and, and think that you're ticking all the boxes. And you are ticking all the boxes, but then if you've got events that are out of your control, like a small child who could be unpredictable <laughs> and you've just come out of half term, so you're a bit tired then sometimes events like that or stress like that who was then sick the next day as well so oh. lack of sleep that's when you haven't got the resilience that you used to have and I now remember what I was going to say on the last point was these hormones the progesterone and the estrogen they have many protective factors and benefits and they are like having a big fluffy protective coat around us and as we go through menopause perimenopause that coat is disappearing and it's kind of revealing what's bare underneath mm. and someone on a I was on a course the other day and someone described it as the tide going out so estrogen disappearing is like the tide going out and then you're just left bare with what's left on the shore and that could be underlying health issues and they might have always been there but potentially your hormones were protecting you and you were only having mild symptoms or even not even noticing anything. So it's like the protective layer has been pulled back and this is really what's going on. And then these symptoms are you getting a tap on the shoulder to say, hold on, listen, this is where you need to pay attention. This is where you need to provide some extra nourishment, some love and support to your body because these are areas that are a bit weakened and that your symptoms are your body messaging you to say, because it's the only way it can communicate to you is by symptoms saying, look, this is stuff that you need to look out for now. So really this, this, this midlife age, so 40s onwards, it's like a pivotal moment. For, it's like a window of opportunity to address any underlying health concerns. Like you've winged it in your 20s and your 30s. Now you need to get your shit together <laughs> and and reevaluate your health and your lifestyle for longevity and quality of life. And this is the moment where you need to take that action. And well, actually, if 
if you could do it in your 30s, even better, right? Because it, you're preventing it. Well, this, yeah, like what yeah. if you, what can we be doing now? So whilst this might not be on everyone's mind, I now just having turned 30, like the concept of aging is becoming like a lot clearer to me, not just menopause or perimenopause, anything like that. Just, oh, like I'm not as youth, youthful as I used to be. And the wrinkles are starting. I've always had gray hair, so that's not an issue. But it does come down to what if I've got some awareness of what you're describing now and the, and the challenges that perimenopause um, brings on with its symptoms and potentially lifestyle and diet feeds into that, what can 20, 30-year-olds, ones that are conscious of that, what can we be doing now to get into good habits ahead of hitting that potential time from, say, 40 onwards? Yeah, the biggest driver of anything is stress, right? So poor sleep and stress are the biggest drivers of disease, but they're also the biggest impact to your hormone health. And quite often, even if you was in your 30s and you wasn't perimenopausal, if you were highly stressed, that could impact your hormone production to the point you could see similar symptoms to that of perimenopause because it can suppress progesterone. You might not ovulate and therefore you would have low hormones that month and you would have the same kind of symptoms of mood, irritability and things like that. So you can actually have a hormone imbalance at any point in your life that you have a menstrual cycle. So it's just um, the lead up to menopause is just a, a longer period of that where it's more noticeable and you actually will definitely have an imbalance but you can have an imbalance from stress lifestyle and diet at any point so it's always important but like you know we acknowledge the fact that we do wing it and enjoy our lives in our 20s and 30s and then suddenly mid 30s onwards we're just like mm, you know can't lose weight how I used to can't start up all night like I used to hangovers are well. and that's because our body's probably not been as looked after as much as it could have been so what we need to do is nourish our body. We need to give it the nutrients that it needs to function properly. We also need to allow our body to rest and recover. So sleep is incredibly important. We have to have sleep. It's where we repair. It's where our immune system kicks in. And if we don't get sleep, it can impact our food choices, our hormone regulation, and it's just a knock-on effect to everything. So you have to think holistically. So it's like the different pillars of health. So you need to nail your sleep your stress levels and your nutrition and movement. Nutrition and movement. Yes. Got it. And then are there any sort of right. benchmarks for those areas? Or like don't be stressed or reduce stress. Getting a particular number of hours, there's always a debate about sleep, I feel like. But is there anything that people can like actually start to focus in on to set themselves some goals for with that? Yeah, so sleep, I guess the rule is, you know, the recommendation's always between like seven to eight hours seven to nine hours i would always recommend from a sleep hygiene point of view like get off technology before you go to bed especially if you're someone who struggles with sleep you know if you struggle with sleep then technology is not your friend so many of us now have our phones next to our bed you know put them on airplane mode that's going to disrupt your sleep if it's there and you've got to think as well about the network you know it's constantly trying to connect to our network and I also recently have said to a few clients to remove them smartwatches at night and I know everyone I mean not pe many people are going to like this the reason I say it's just because that watch is constantly trying to reconnect back to your phone or with bluetooth mm. and I'm just like and you sleep with it right by your head and you know the the waves that emits and everything are a lot lower than a phone but then a phone isn't on your body 24-7. And I think from an energy point of view, it could be disrupting for people. 
And so you don't really want Wi-Fi around you. And I'd put your phone on at least aeroplane mode. And some people recommend like switching off your Wi-Fi at night. That hasn't quite happened to my house, but <laughs> you know, there's things like that that can affect your sleep. Um, but of course, when do you last eat a meal? You know, what kind of food are you eating in the evening? Are you drinking alcohol? Like all these things can disrupt your sleep. So sleep is where we start. And because all of that can then have a knock on effect to your mood and your food and your energy levels, which then impacts what exercise you do. So stress wise, you know, the recommendations are always like do something really chilled and relaxing, like meditation and yoga, go for a walk. And if that's what brings you joy or floats your boat, then do it. But it's something that allows you to switch off and wind down. So I could actually quite easily just go out on my bike and do a 20k on a road bike. And but for me, that's mindfulness because I've switched off because I don't want to get hit by a truck or something. You know, I'm I'm focusing on riding my bike and it brings me joy. It's also physical. So, you know, endorphins and all that. So it's got positive effects from so many angles. But that's my mindfulness. So I think it's important for people to find something that brings them joy and not say, oh, I've got to go and do meditation or yoga. Although they are, you know, they're very beneficial. But I just feel like some people just might not do those things. I think that's the only way to wind down or relax. It could just be getting space from your family in a room with a closed door and having a cup of tea and reading a book. But there's great meditations and things that are short and everything on Headspace, Calm, Primer. They've got really short meditations you can do that can be really helpful. And I think, yeah, there's lots of things you can do from a mind perspective. So you need to just find ways to wind down. And women in particular are always spinning too many plates. They're always like, I've got to do this, 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 and this, and this. And we have so many things going on. And now we're like mums, you know, we're, we've got our own businesses, we've got either teenagers, small kids, we're just running around all the time, because we always have to be busy, we want our kids busy, everyone's got them in a, what club are you driving your kids to today, what activity are they going to do, then what activity are you going to do, oh you've got to cook everyone this amazing meal, there's so much pressure to be perfect and busy for women, yeah. and it's actually incredibly detrimental to our health, like we really need to chill. Even those without children, in that regard, you know, the, there's other pressures of the whole dating scenario and building the stress up for there. And I suppose that when you link that back to the work that I've done with women before about that, you know, getting stressed over a situation you can't control, it brings back to what you were saying in a different context of, but you can't control your relationship status to a particular degree. You have to be able to let go of that and acceptance and find the things that make you feel happy that you can get joy from whether it is riding a bike whether in my case it would be like go along to a social or go and do a solo trip and do something that like fills your soul up whilst reducing the opportunities and triggers for stress which in in the case of like children is it's a lot harder and having now the equivalent of stepchildren around I realize how they're just always on especially when they're like under 10 but when it comes to when you're single and don't have that going on in your life it, it's reducing it through the conversations with family sometimes like sometimes you have to step away from your wider family life and see people less often if they are causing you stress in your life unnecessarily so finding people for that right kind of support and this kind of goes probably regardless of menopause it is that bit of ensuring that you have that in place ahead of menopause so you've got the right support networks you're as chilled as you can be and you're building up all of these habits 
in my case, over the next 10 years to sort of counteract any of those effects that are going to be coming into play just because of hormones and that period of time. I was just going to say it's about building resilience. So it's like building your tank of resilience to prep to get you through that transition. Yes. Because if you don't do that and you go into perimenopause and like this is, you know, I did that. I'm I'm building my back up and I've fallen, you know, I've gone back and forth a couple of times because life happens. But it's like if you've done everything you can to build that tank up, when you've got no hormones to fall back on and you've got no resilience, that, that's your resilience. Yeah. And um, if you don't even have any of that stacked up there to support you through that stage, um, then you're going to have more symptoms and more struggles. So it's like you are, you know, building your resilience through your 30s to hopefully smoothly transition through your 40s into menopause. Yeah. And I think that's why this episode is so important because it's easy to think that, the menopause is, as you described at the start, for people with grey hair, it's for the people in their 40s that are going to stop having periods and not able to have babies. But actually, the work to prepare for that can potentially come now to have that smooth yeah. transition. And you mentioned Headspace and other apps to use for meditation. In terms of knowing more, learning more about perimenopause, menopause itself, and anything to help with that, where can people start to look to get more support and understanding, particularly for those in their 20s and 30s, but in general otherwise. I was just going to point, because I think you said at school was the last time you talked about it. I don't actually think menopause was spoken about at school. I think it was, I think, well, it may have mentioned that that's when your periods stop or something like that. Exactly. I, I don't remember it being spoken about at school because even periods were just tinyly, I don't even remember them being hardly spoken about. So we know that education in schools is a huge thing that needs to change. And there are people who are about at the moment who are trying to push for change. Uh, an easy book to probably look at is Maisie Hill. She did the period one, might be period power, but she also did a menopause one. And there are probably some easier books to look at for if you're in your 30s, which just probably start to introduce you through because the other books like cracking the menopause yeah it's about mariella frostrup so that's an older woman recalling her journey so maybe Maisie hill is a good starting point i honestly say i'm not sure there is any books targeted specifically for 30s i feel like it's for people who are actually during like in the in perimenopause menopause so i like Lara Bryden, Bryden. So she's got Hormone Repair Manual and she's also got a period one as well. And her books are brilliant. Um, and they do go into all the detail and they're easy to flick through as well for your symptom or what you're dealing with. So she's excellent. And most people in my industry reference her or the professor that she quotes quite a lot who does lots of studies. Amazing. So it looks like Maisie Hill's got a whole podcast on period power helping women facing your problems so all of those I'll put a link to in the description in case anybody wants to look at it and hey I've done my bit to bring the menopause to the attention of people in their 20s 30s and there's listeners that are in their 40s who might just be interested in picking up on those because they're actually starting that experience now so a big thank you to you Marie for coming along if people want to find out more from you not just about menopause I know that was sort of a an aspect you were putting out there because of menopause awareness but if they want to find out anything more from you in terms of women's health coaching or the nutritional therapy that you provide how can they get hold of you? 
So my Instagram handle is Nutricore underscore health. I also have a free Facebook group for women actually. And I do have some people in their 30s in it. And that's called Nutricore Women's Health Hub. And that's a really like safe place and supportive group where people can just ask anything and I will respond. And that's just a free Facebook group, which I started this year, which I'm trying to build up a nice community in there. And it's really good. It's quite interactive. And um, otherwise, you can reach me at www.nutra-core.co.uk. But you can put that link in because that's a bit of a mouthful. I need to change that URL. <laughs> no worries at all. And, and for those that listen to the Single Girls Guide to Life before, you'll know that community is one of the most valuable things that I believe in. It's one of our core values, hence the Single Girls Club. But This kind of stuff is not the stuff I know in depth. It's the reason I bring guests like Marie on to tell you more about it. And if you think that that's going to be a community that's going to support you, then go and find that because your tribe isn't just single people. It's other people maybe that are managing their health and finding ways to deal with it through diet and lifestyle and finding those little other tribes that are going to help you support yourself through the next 10 years or more, make friends, get support and in a safe way as well. So thank you again for providing all of that information. Thanks for sharing the links there, which I will put in the description for everybody. And for anybody listening, any questions, feel free to connect with Marie on all of that that was detailed there. But until next time, everybody, keep celebrating single life together.